Hey there, Meyer Sign friends and followers. I'm Michael Boss, and I have the privilege of being the creator and host of Tales of the Magic Skagit, a podcast series celebrating the people, places, and things that make the Skagit Valley magic, sponsored by Meyer Sign. Thanks for giving us a listen. And now, on to the program. In part one of Mountain Runners, we uncovered the origin of the Mount Baker Marathon in all its audacious glory, and how the concept of a combined train, automobile, and foot race from Billingham, Washington, to the top of Mount Baker and back, became the first adventure mountain race in America. Historians and filmmakers Brian Young and Todd Werger introduced us to a bevy of characters straight out of Hollywood casting and set the stage for a rivalry between two communities who vied for the honorific of the Gateway to Mount Baker National Park. What ensued during the first race in 1911 put Bellingham on the map and guaranteed a repeat the following year. In this installment of Mountain Runners, We'll hear from Brian and Todd about how Bellingham upped the ante for the race in 1912, which attracted not only thousands of spectators, including the Governor and First Lady of Washington, but also some notable runners from outside the Pacific Northwest. Against a backdrop of savage weather, we'll see what happens when the welfare of the race participants runs headlong into the economic interests and egos of Bellingham, Washington and how they faced the possibility of a rival in concrete. But I get ahead of myself. Let me get the ball rolling by asking Todd Werger about how the 1912 race was bankrolled. um, um, We did have a lot of the affluent society, as we say in the film, who did uh, pony up... uh, monies and help in fundraising efforts and the you could say that the uh, local government were more inclined to help nobody was still willing to dish out a lot of money so uh, and then they had uh, subscriptions uh, the club did and uh, the one thing that uh, was decided upon by the mayor at the time was to forego the festivities of the 4th of July and put the monies into a three-day weekend festivity. Oh, okay, yeah, so they, yeah. yeah. Channel right. the funds into so the now race. So we're, now we're talking about let's, you know, let's have a three-day deal. Right, three-day deal. Uh, they uh, were able to get elements of the Pacific Fleet to come visit. That's right, the circus. Pacific uh, Fleet, they, they had a circus. They had the 1912... Um, um, uh, Puget Sound race boat uh, regatta championships okay, taking yeah, place right, on, on right, um, right. Um, uh, Lake Wacom. Uh, For they the benefit in, of Mr. Kite, there will be a show tonight yeah. on trampoline. <laughs> they brought in um, a circus yeah. and had parades in the street. Uh, they had, um, I think there was, I think there was maybe thirteen or fourteen Coast Salish. Uh, uh, tribes that came and had canoe, canoe race races. Uh, they How had do you like us now, Chicago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had balloon ascents. Right. Yeah. Airplane flyovers, parachutes. Yeah. Uh, the airplane, I think, was, was 13. 13. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Oh, but, 13. But they okay. did, I mean, they, they really but Keep in mind, it. the amazing thing about this, and correct me if I'm wrong, Todd, there was no real road connection. 
between Seattle no, and Bellingham. Nothing great. You know, you had dirt roads once you got mm-hmm. out of Bellingham. So anyone who wanted to come to this, see this thing, is going to come by rail or they're going to come by steamship. Yeah, and a lot of them the by harbor. steamship, yeah. And so... Mosquito fleet, To get word yeah. out, you're going to get word out uh, along the West Coast mostly, but it was nationally known. And, and people started coming from all over. So you think about making a trip mm-hmm. on a steamship to come to Bellingham to see this race or, or by passenger train. It's not like getting in your car in Seattle and driving up I-5. You're, you're going to get on a steamer somewhere, maybe Portland, maybe Los Angeles, and, and take a trip and disembark in this crazy—this was the, the largest community outside of going to Alaska— this is the last holdout of the United States as far as as as, as far as the populations right. go. Right. Bellingham right. was the last stop before the unknown, mm. you know. And so these people had to make a concerted effort. And you're talking about the amount of people that came into town equaled or, or were greater than the entire population mm-hmm. yeah. of Bellingham. Yeah, that's, so you, you yeah, think about, oh, wow. you yeah. know, everyone in the Skagit Valley doubling in size for this race. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about your tulip festivals. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, but I, I think this brings something up that I recall from the documentary as well. And I think this happened, this began to surface in 1912, which was some uh, tensions, if you will. Oh, yes. Between um, uh, the local merchants and the Chamber of Commerce, because the local merchants are saying, hey, uh, you know, maybe having automobiles like driving 60, 65 miles an hour through the streets, it's not a particularly good idea. Yeah, you know, there, like there the, could be mm-hmm. there could be a safety issue here, and at some point, as I recall from the documentary, the Chamber of Commerce just stopped talking to them. I mean, it's just like don't, yeah, they didn't allow them into the yeah, meetings. Yeah, we'll, we'll have point. the meetings, but you're not invited because yeah. we just don't. We're, frankly, we really don't want to hear this. Right? Yeah. This is this is bo- this is box <laughs> office boffo. We're looking at. Don't bring your your namby pamby safety concerns. Yeah. How could cars without any tread on their tires that have everything stripped and going 65 miles why, on, on uh, you know, uh, cobblestone roads and bricks? Yeah, why would you, that be a problem? What are you people worried about? <laughs> what are you worried about? So let's talk about the race in 1912 now, because in 1911, you had a train derailment. Mm-hmm. In 1912, you had some real drama that had to do with uh, more to do with uh, Mother Nature, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 also, I want to bring up um, uh, things that uh, a few things that weren't mentioned in the film here because it's it's kind of uh, kind of it's it's really hilarious because you, you can't do everything, you know. Uh, you'd be bogged down. We would have a. Mini-hour film. <laughs> That's uh, why we have you here as yeah, a historian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so some of the things that didn't happen, and ideas were were floating out there heavily. Um, well, the mayor, uh, not the mayor, the uh, the governor and his wife did come for nineteen twelve uh, for nineteen twelve for the race. Uh, so they were here. Uh, some of the crazy ideas that they had, which didn't occur was one was uh putting a tower on the top of mount baker and dignitaries and people that would spend the money could take a airship up and anchor up there and watch the runners come in and be back in bellingham in time to watch them come in obviously that didn't materialize this is like the equivalent this is like the early 20th century equivalent of of the spacex uh 
Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. Any uh-huh. billionaires want to go up in space? That, that was one idea. Raise your hand. Another idea was putting a red powder, I don't, some sort of red, I don't like know. A clay or something. Whatever it is. Uh, well, there was two ideas there. One idea was the colors of the of the uh, Mount Baker Club is white and green. So one idea was to paint or dye the summit green so you could see it back here in Bellingham. Then the idea came up was to put I don't know, I don't know what kind of powder this they were talking about, but to have it all over the the summit. The snowfield facing Bellingham that when the first runner came, they touched it off and and just this massive fire would occur on the entire summit, which would signal that a runner the, had made the it. Runner had the other made it. The runners that was an idea. So well. Well. And the other idea was to launch rockets. As as a runner came, but well, they did put a phone line. Up yes, they that did. Year, That's right. They did they put did a phone line. A up. phone Not quite line. As dangerous from Glacier uh, up. Uh, they did a, a phone line that year. Other, otherwise, these these things you're talking about lead me to suspect that cannabis was was recreational something, legal. Something was going earlier on. than we yeah. thought. Now, now to show you just how this is, this is nuts. Yeah. Now, yeah. now to show you just how. Dastardly, this whole system was at the time. Uh, a story that is not in the film at all was. And, and attention, uh, Tales of the Magic Gadget podcast listeners, see, this is why you listen to this program. That's right. Right here. So the, the story that, that does not materialize in the, in the film is the, uh, the story of, uh, of Herman Schreiber. Schreiber Meadows mm, that concrete. you might down here. And so, like, a week or two, like two weeks or something like this out from the race, the officials in Bellingham get a call from Concrete saying that Concrete has a trail too, and they're going to compete, and they're going to send their runners to Bellingham. And their runners would get on the train, uh, uh, it was a train or a vehicle that would take them to Fairhaven where they would get on the train and they would go to Burlington and swap onto another train that would take them to Grasmere where they would get off and they would run the trail and back to concrete. So they've already had gone ahead and checked the schedule and everything from the Great Northern. The Great Northern said, no problem. We can easily do this and we can give you estimated times of almost the same that they're doing in in Bellingham. The Bellingham papers are kind of reporting this, but they're reporting it is, well, you know. An outlier. Yeah, (laughs) these guys are going to do this. Well, miraculously, like a week later, all of a sudden the Great Northern says, oh, we can't do this. Oh, no. Uh, and and there's, this, there's this very apologetic letter in the Bellingham paper that I, I assume was reprinted in the concrete paper, which the papers for that time period unfortunately don't exist. But... Um, uh, but it, it, it basically says how, oh, it's, we're so sorry, apologetic, and we wish you could, we would love the, well, there's, there is no reason why they would want concrete's involvement because it doesn't we want our money him. here. Yeah. We don't want our money there. <laughs> but concrete does send, they had runners. I'll be darned. But only Schreiber shows up because it was a blizzard. 
that's when we get to the first blizzard when they canceled the race here. But nobody tells Concrete from Bellingham that the race has been canceled or postponed on their end. So poor Schreiber goes all the way up. He has, when he gets to uh, the snow line, there are two judges from Concrete there. And one of them follows him and they get as far as almost the crater. So where quite it was a ways so up the miserable, they yeah. had snow up to their hips, and they retreated and came back. And um, a week later, when the race does occur, they do, Schreiber reruns the race again. And at this time, I'm jumping ahead here, but this year, the Bellingham judges actually build a snow fort, and they have a frame and everything. On and the summit. On the summit. And when the concrete judges show up and want to know if they can stay with them, they're like, no, there's no room. Go down to the crater. <laughs> so, <laughs> no now, room at the end. No, no room at the end. So Schreiber does run and makes it back to concrete. After the race, the, the concrete judges are still up there. And to add insult to injury, the... Bellingham judges walked down to the concrete judges and said, we're done with the tent now, the snow shelter. If you want to use it for any reason, go ahead. But would you please pack it up and bring it back to concrete with you? (laughs) Needless to say, there is one photo that exists of Herman Schreiber on his horse uh, because he took a horse uh, from the trailhead back to concrete. Actually, because they were knocked out of the Bellingham leg, he rode a horse from um, concrete to the trailhead, and then he ran Mm -hmm. the rest of the way, and then he rode the horse back to concrete. So there is a photo, 1912, in front of the concrete theater of him on the horse with a crowd of people around him. They tried to piggyback on the event, but Bellingham didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't want to, especially if he'd actually been... You know, in the running, so to speak. Yeah. If if anything had happened where concrete had stolen their thunder, they would have never heard the end of it. Right. So, so they didn't want anything to do with it. We didn't have no. that in the film, well. but another sly story of a slime ball, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, people running it. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's, it's fortunate that that photo does exist. And if I remember right, Schreiber did do the race in 11 hours from wow. summit to back. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So the weather becomes the uh, uh, the big story in, in 1912. Um, the judges who are up on the mountain decide there's no way we can, you know, this race is going to happen in these conditions because it's going to endanger anybody who comes up here. They couldn't even get on the snow. Field. Yeah, they were at the snow line. Actually, yeah. they, when couldn't they, even, that they couldn't even get up there. Yeah. So um, uh, so so tell tell us, pick up the story about what happens when uh, was it Ranger Davis? Um, yeah, Nathan Davis was Nathan one Davis. of the uh, judges. He was the one judge the judges. for for, th- for three straight years. Mm-hmm. And his confrontation with uh, uh, Henry Engberg. Hed, Hen, Henry Engberg. Well, you and, went ahead because you, this is you said most of the story. So why don't you go yeah, ahead and continue with that? Um, so yeah, the judges before they went up to the summit were, were camping at the snow line. On the day of the race, this storm hits, and they realize. Uh, it's very dangerous. It's a whiteout, basically. And if you send men up there, there's a good chance that someone's going to die, which is the worst fear of, you know, even though the race was preposterous, they didn't want people dying, obviously. So he decides on his own that 
he's going to call off the race or at least postpone it and jumping here if I'm wrong, Todd. So, but there's no way for them to, you know, communicate. communicate. So they go down the mountain, they decide to leave instead of going up the mountain, which is, was expected in Bellingham, who has no idea what the conditions are. They go down to the nearest town, which was... Uh, they, went, they went down to Deming. They went down to Deming, Deming, and there was a, an operator there at the hotel. And he ran in and told the operator to call the Chamber of Commerce and say, We're, the judges are coming back to the, <laughs> to the Chamber of Commerce in Bellingham. And the Dude. race is only a couple hours off. Yeah, right. the race is only a couple hours off. And so on the way, they meet... Joe Galbraith, who was the winner of the 1911 race, who had opted out of running in the next in the 1912 race because during his practice his car had wrecked and he'd broken his he'd shoulder. Broken, right, right. So he's in a cast. He's, he's not going to run the race, but he understands how dangerous this race can be because he's ran it. So he decides to go along with these judges to help plead their case to save the men who are about to go up this mountain. And by the way, Joe's brother is going to be running the race. Yeah, that's right. Joe, Joe, Joe's brother is going to be in the race. Yeah. Yeah. So he, they make it back to the chamber of commerce and plead their case. Well, you know, the people that were backing the race weren't too happy about it because they know that, the people in town aren't going to be able to stay there longer right. than they, no. you know, the money's going to start. And, and don't forget the governor's there. The governor's there. <laughs> you know, they look like a batch of yahoos because, you know, it'd be like having, uh, you know, the seafare hydroplane races. Oh, we're going to do it tomorrow instead. You right. know, it doesn't right. look right. so good. No, so you know, so everyone's there and, you know, the boats aren't going to run. So, you know, the, the Henry Engbert, is very upset because his name is associated with this race. And uh, he decides, with no judges on the mountain, they have to postpone. But he makes the statement that no matter what, what was it a couple days later? As soon as the the weather clears. The weather clears and and the snowpack is solid. Yeah, they're going to send guys up the mountain. And no matter what happens, that's what's going to happen. So... Make no bones about it. Business was going to come before right, safety, right? And yep. that's the decision that ended up killing the marathon eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, the money became more important than the safety of the guys who were going to run this race. The race in 1912 is postponed for about a week. About yeah, a I think week. It was, yeah, the next mm-hmm. week. Okay, so then it 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 it, it happens, and um, but the weather, as it turns out, is still. Pretty awful. It's something else I think needs to be mentioned here first, though, uh, to just yeah, just yeah. to let you know oh, yeah. what's, what's going on. Yeah. But keep in mind now for that race uh, for 1912 when it was postponed, they were able to get there was 22 runners, and there were professional amateur professionals that came here. Right, uh, 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 Jimmy. Uh, uh, Fritz Gerald, Frank, Frankovitz, uh, no. no, Fritz Gerald uh, was uh, on the Canadian team in the Olympics. Uh, he uh, he ran uh, the, uh, uh, the circuit of the entire West Coast. As a matter of fact, he just came back. No, wait a minute. He came back the, the third. Anyways, he he would also uh, do the um, 
the Pacific uh, uh, circuit. So he went to New Zealand, Australia. I mean, he, he was a, a big contender. Um, uh, so it's now not just the you know, local boys, no, loggers, no. wrestlers, and no. uh, bed spring makers. <laughs> no, right. no. Uh, Westerland, who was a uh, uh, Paul Westerland, Paul Westerland, who Paul Westerland. was uh, with the San Francisco Athletic Club, um, uh, and he was uh, he tried out for the 1912 Olympics, and uh, he was a well-known uh, runner. I mean, but keep in mind, are coming. These guys aren't mountain runners. No. Right. They, right. The, right. they might be great endurance runners and, and marathon yep. runners on a 26.5 trail that's flat, you yeah. know. But once you get to the mountain... It's it's a yeah. whole nother yeah. animal, yeah. and if you're a runner of a marathon and, and have no idea what it's like to run in snow, yeah, that's a whole nother ball game, you know. And so these guys were coming from all over because one, it was it was the notoriety of this race. It right. was in all the papers, and the money doubled. Went up right, because the, the money no, went, they up went up to five hundred. Yeah, five hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, right. So that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. You buy a house practically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so we got professionals coming in where that didn't exist the first year, and because of the postponement, um, most of them had. I mean, they had other races to go to, and so they were already committed. Paul Westerland stayed, and he ran in the 1912 mm-hmm. uh, race. Now, was 1912 also the year where they decided that w- w- one of the routes had kind of an, in- an inherent advantage no, over the other? In that, the was that, that was 13. That was 13. Okay, we'll get yes. to that in a so, bit. They did figure that out okay. that year. 12, well, they it was out. never, I mean, they could, it was never, never 100%, you know, which would be, so they ran the same thing. Uh, what they had done, I can't remember if it was 12 or 13, but what they had done is, well, by 12, uh, they ran a telephone line right. on the right. Deming Trail. So now they had full communication uh, with Bellingham. So They got dispatches from the race. Yeah, so people hung out in the street like all night long wanting to know what's going on. And so that was a, a, a big deal. Uh, I, I think that the big thing that I come away from from uh, 1912 was uh, there's a lot of information, fortunately, on, on Westerland being here. And, you know, he wanted to be the, you know, the, the winner, of course. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, he has a name and he has a reputation, but the locals were smart and they let him cut the trail oh. all the oh. way up. And they just followed his footsteps and let him cut it. And uh, Westernland actually on the way back fell and broke three ribs and, you know, kind of hobbled back down. But he did complete the race and gained a lot of respect from Mm -hmm. from from the the people here. So the big the big event of 1912 really was the, the postponement. And you really saw what the uh, the makeup was between the runners, the officials. Yeah, it set up it set the up. demise of the race the yeah. next year. So who was the winner of 1912? Harvey Haggard. Harvey Haggard. So yeah. it's great. So because Harvey, Harvey Haggard, who came in wreck. second because yep. of the train wreck, now manages to yeah. Yeah. come back and, 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 and Joe, uh, take the gold. Uh, um, Frankelwitz, yeah. the, the coal miner, came in second. Wow. And and then uh, Magnuson came in third. Yeah. And wow. so, you know, outside of the the money, there were parties and celebrations. The governor was there. 
it was a big deal to sure. be a yeah. local, you know, yeah, cowboy. That's true. These guys were <laughs> you know, these guys were these getting g- fetid all over. Oh uh, yeah, all they over were. Place. They were special guests at the chamber. They were, you know, all these garden clubs would have them in. Their pictures were on the front page of the paper. Like having the Apollo in. Eleven astronauts. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you. It was a big deal. Sure. So to be some farmhand or coal miner. In 1912, to have your picture on a national publication alongside, you know, the the big baseball players of the time and the New York Times, that's, that's a big deal. It was a very big deal indeed. And if the Mount Baker Club and the Bellingham Chamber of Commerce had anything to do with it, 1913 would be an even bigger deal. Unfortunately, the seeds of the events unraveling were sown in 1912 and bore disastrous fruit the following year. In our final installment of Mountain Runners, Todd and Brian will recount the events of the 1913 Mount Baker Marathon, and as a postscript, we'll get the inside scoop on how their award-winning documentary film came to be. Like they say, truth is stranger than fiction. This concludes another episode of Tales of the Magic Skagit. You can follow us on Facebook at Meyer Sign, as well as read our stories on our website, MeyerSign.com. Just click on Behind the Sign for all the good stuff. Thanks for listening, and keep the Skagit magic, y'all.